Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Must Be the Place, the Building Science Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Henderson. Each episode is a deep conversation with a carefully chosen peer about not just houses, but place. Yeah, of course we talk about houses and retrofits, but we also want to change the industry for the better, forever. Energy poverty, community engagement, industry disruption, societal responsibility, and climate change. It's all here and so much more. Hey all, Shauna again. Anna Gilcash joins me today. Ever since she was a little girl, she's had an obsession with houses. I can totally relate. She can envision everything before the hammer even falls. She's recently hung up her tool belt in exchange for a pencil and clipboard. And now the founder and owner of Revival Home Design, she helps her clients see the vision of their dream home and then makes it happen. Welcome, Anna. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. Thanks for having me, Shauna. Good. And I hear that you are not in your usual office at home. You're, you got your toes in the sand somewhere. I do. I'm operating off of the lovely Prince Edward Island uh, at the moment where I do have an office here. Nice. My toes are currently not in the sand. Just no, I, so you're. Yeah, you're for everybody no. listening, yes, yeah, she's <laughs> got like a wall and a door behind her. I can see. <laughs> so I know that your first part of your career was in carpentry, and you have worked across the country. But you actually received an honors diploma in carpentry from NSCC. I always had the intention of doing design work. But I wanted to know how to, you know, do the work before I told anyone how to do it or I designed anything around it. So I studied uh, carpentry at NSCC through uh, uh, 2014 to 16, and I learned all that you could know about the practical side of building. And then I actually went out and worked uh, in Ontario, in British Columbia, in Nova Scotia, um, Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, pretty much anywhere that would take me uh, so I could get different experiences with construction techniques from uh, finishing to foundations to framing. And I feel like I did a pretty good job at it. I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. So uh-huh. well, I, uh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the, the farm kid in me where I'm, I'm not afraid to, to kind of work with my hands. I did that for a number of years and felt that I could finally uh, reach out and take a step uh, aside and do the more design aspect and project coordination and estimating and all the things that happen behind the scenes of the hammer. All before the hammer drops. Exactly. Yeah. So what kind of jobs were you doing? Like what, what, what were you all, always in residential or did you move around in different like institutional or commercial? I didn't stay in commercial very long. Um, mostly residential, some high density, uh, residential and, um, rental properties. 
from new construction to renovation. So you've had a pretty broad exposure to the trade across the country. So what's it like being a woman in the trade? Well, I found um, maybe it's just more my culture here from Atlantic Canada, since that's where I'm born and raised. Um, I did find the experience as being a woman here versus uh, further at West. Uh, there was it was more numerous for women to be in the trades here, so it was a little more accepted in the the culture. But, oh, interesting! I hadn't really yeah. thought about that because when I first moved out here from Vancouver, uh, way back when, in the I was going to say the 1930s, but not really that far back. <laughs> when I was in my 30s, um, I had such an uppity Western West Coast view of things that when people called me girl. I just went off the charts, and it was just a language thing. <laughs> well, I mean, that's probably one of the nicer things to be called, so oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, there is no doubt about that. <laughs> that's funny. We both have experiences on either on either coast, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know that, you know, you said that you're no stranger to getting your hands dirty um, and you grew up on a farm and that was a dairy farm in New Brunswick. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and my parents are still at it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Right on. And and that's really like, do you think that being exposed to hands on farm living is what brought you into the into working in the trades or was it do you think you have a proclivity to that anyway? Well, that's a, so growing up, my, my grandfather was a contractor and my mother um, studied interior decorating. And it was through her that she taught me drafting and gave me this uh, obsession with houses. So it started there, but the hands-on aspect, I think it comes from being um, one of six daughters. Um, so we had to participate in all the, the, barn chores and the heavy lifting and everything that goes into the muck and mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the gender roles that we had in our family kind of didn't exist. So interesting. That's me, interesting. Yeah. For me to go into carpentry um, seemed like a bit of a no brainer. And I was a bit shocked or naive to what it would really be like for uh, gender roles to exist in the, construction environment yeah I had similar thing when I decided to go into this world I had no thought about that I couldn't do it and I was shocked when I showed up in the classroom and there was 88 people and there was me and seven other women I was mm. stunned it's like wait what happened here? Is this weird or is this normal? I couldn't tell you know it's funny but uh, I was I was just going to add on to your your the farm experience. So I dated a guy who was a, um, a son of a, f- a farmer from Saskatchewan a billion years ago. And we went out, uh, we did a road trip and stayed at, uh, with his parents. Um, he was one of like 11 or 13 children on this big, huge <laughs> dairy farm in Saskatchewan. And um, I went out to the farm, like by that time, they were actually the the parents were living in town and some of the other siblings had taken over the farm but i was going out to the farm quite a bit cuz you know it was pretty interesting and the gender role was the gender roles were 
incredible. Like his mom and her oldest daughters who still lived in the, in the, the town and the daughters-in-law of the older siblings who were running the farm could not believe that I, a girl, wanted to go out on the farm, went willingly, and actually got dirty. And there's I was like, a lot well, of joy to getting yeah. dirty. There's a lot of joy. And like, quite frankly, I didn't want to stay in town and clean the friggin' house or make cookies for everybody because those were my options. It's no. like, yeah, no, I'm not vacuuming again to today. Their own. Yeah. I need to go outside. I need to get grubby. Yeah. So interesting how to, there are some really concrete gender roles. And then when you don't have any boys around, look who gets to do all the work, the girls. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's probably a simplification, but maybe not really. <laughs> <laughs> so when and why did you decide to hang up your tool belt? And have you um, actually hung it up? Well... <laughs> I, on the business aspect, I've hung it up. I mean, I'm, I could certainly stay busy uh, in this market if I wanted to do the building myself, but that's all just kind of uh, pushed for personal reasons or hobby reasons now. But the intention was always to do design because I just am so driven to create things um, that I knew that I would be transitioning. Or, or I, I like to call it doing a sidestep uh, into the design aspect. So that was always part of the plan. But um, my experience being a carpenter uh, for the, the years that I did it um, was really challenging. Like it was challenging physically, but it was pretty challenging um, emotionally as well mm-hmm. with some of the, the persons that I worked with and it wasn't really fulfilling me in the way that, you know, a job should. So I, uh, I, I retired that. Mm-hmm. And so, so now you have revival home design. So tell me about that. What do you offer to clients? Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> because <laughs> it, that's the question I keep getting of, of what do you do? Um, so in a nutshell, I take every aspect of the design and construction process and I streamline it for the client. Uh, whether that I'm working with a, you know, home builder or a realtor or, you know, a homeowner, any, any will do. Um, I can start by doing some drawings, doing you know, sketching, uh, doing an estimate on what that would cost for their project. I purchase products. I deliver them to site. I coordinate with the trades. I have them arrive on time and actually uh, observe that they're doing things properly. Uh, I do have that carpentry experience, and I can speak the lingo and, and crack the whip if I need mm-hmm. to. And... <laughs> I will make sure that things kind of actually are done the way that the customer wants. So I'm kind of the eyes and ears on site, uh, as well as just more than just the artistic side of making things look pretty. So it's it's a combination sort of like project manager on steroids. <laughs> Is that a yeah. good way to talk about I, it? That's how I do things. <laughs> that's how I do it. Yeah, it's. You, I can be as involved as much or as little as the client needs, um, but that's like the whole kind of care package, and I can mm-hmm. even 
you know, furnish it if they need that. Wow. So, so you're working with things like, like individual room renovations and whole house renovations, everything in between, or what's, what's happening for you? Um, everything within the residential sector at this point, uh, from new construction to additions to uh, renovations. I particularly like the challenge of a renovation of kind of the limitations of crooked walls or, you know, uh, certain floor space that you have to work with. I like to kind of have to stretch my brain there for those mm-hmm. projects. Um, and then you get to see the biggest transformation with them. So those are my favorite, but yeah, I really love I'll help with anything. That's what I always talk about renovations as being like house haiku, right? Where you have a structure, you always have some sort of foundation and some sort of walls and floor systems and roof slash ceiling systems and windows and doors. And beyond that, like there's your framework and now you build a poem into that. And it's very, it's a very, in my head, it's a very sweet way of looking at a very grubby and hard job. But uh, but putting putting things into that kind of structure, I really like it working within those confines. And, and when you have a blank piece of paper, sometimes that's more even more terrifying than opening up a wall in a hundred year old house, right? Well, that's when you find the interesting things when you mm-hmm. open up the old walls. Yeah, yeah. I have a collection of Definitely. marbles and and and. Uh, and old bits of, of um, like board games like dice and, and um, little really old Monopoly pieces that I found in one project. They'd all been mm-hmm. like tossed down the, uh, the balloon framed wall and we found them at the bottom. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things that I found was quite recently um, in my own house was um, these World War II medals. Oh, from wow. the original homeowners. Yeah, I don't know why they're in a wall, but that's where I found them. Some people, you know, people have always put things in walls and under floorboards to keep safe. Yes, perhaps that was it. Yeah, interesting. So did you track them down? I wasn't. The family there, was, there was some confidentiality, so I wasn't able to get their location at this time. But I have them on display in the house nice. uh, in a nice um uh, frame and one of the little treasures I like to find when I'm building or or renovating um, are little kind of notes from the past that was left there by the you know the person who was constructing it or uh, the previous owner who said I was here uh, Mm -hmm. you know on this date and it's uh, a little time capsule I like that yeah yeah I have uh, somewhere in my collection of printed photos from film cameras, um, a whole series of um, newspapers that were um, pasted into the floor joist system of a house that was built in, I think like, I can't remember, it was really early in the 1800s up in Hans County. And uh, that was pretty cool. It was like, wow, this is what people's lives were like in that time frame. Mm. We were actually, re- you know, mm-hmm. able to read about all the things that were happening in that that area and the homeowners were just super excited about um, having those things oh, yeah. framed those. That was very cool. My, my parents, they they live in this old farmhouse, the 250 years old. 
and when they had done a renovation, they found letters that were being passed between the daughter of the house who was living away. Um, and she told of all these, the sledding that they were doing with the, their kids and, you know, the horse and carriage rides mm-hmm. and just different ways of being. And of course, the letters were written, uh, they're trying to conserve every inch of the paper. So they would write, you know, horizontally and then diagonally. (laughs) (laughs) On the front and back, it's tiny little scrolls. Yeah, Yeah. I remember my my Nana, um, she came over from Britain when uh, she was in her 40s, I guess, maybe late 30s. Um, after, well, as part of a a post war thing, and, and she would write back to, back and forth with her her family and friends in in Britain and man the tiny little scrawls <laughs> is there mm-hmm. a lot yes it's there's a lot <laughs> quite the fire so you were just you were just talking about your your mom and dad and their place and when they did a renovation they found letters back and forth yeah yeah very cool that was from the daughter of the house yeah the daughter of the house who was uh, had a new teaching job and was living uh, many towns over. Many towns over. That sounds crazy, eh? You know, we're like, my family lives on the West Coast and I live on the East Coast. <laughs> That's great. Um, so if you're interested in this, like, triviality about life as it was in past uh, times in Nova Scotia, there's this really cool... Well, I see it on Twitter, but I think it's on other places as well. It's called Small History, and it's really it's really fun. Every day, there's just these little snippets about what was going on on the day. Like, so there would be something about today's um, news from a small local, um, either um, like a, a newsletter or a newspaper or some sort of archive that somebody kept, whether it was about how many bales of hay they got off their farm or um, how many fish, like when the mackerel was running and all this kind of really cool stuff. It is from the whole province. It's very fun to read through. And there's actually a book um, that they put out, I guess, during COVID sometime. Yeah. There's lots of history just in your own hometown. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to change the subject now. <laughs> Quite all right. <laughs> um, because here's the burning question that, you know, we need to address. We have a trade shortage. We have a whole bunch of people who are retiring who aren't going to be able to mentor new new folks coming into the trades. And we have less than 10% representation of women in the trades. So how do we make the trades more available to women Great question. I wish I had all the answers for that one. Um, I think it comes down to kind of breaking some stigma and that uh, welcoming the women into the trades. I think schools are doing pretty well at that. Uh, Colleges have been doing well. Um, I'm not sure about, you know, high school curriculums or anything. And the, just to let women to know, I'd love them to know that it is a very rewarding job. Um, it's, you get to be creative. Um, you get to kind of build things with your hands. And it's not the, the labor-intensive job that you may think it is because there are advancements in technology for, from air nailers to jacks. And uh, I think anybody could do it uh, 
carpentry, um, welding, electrical, plumbing, whichever kind of floats mm-hmm. your boat, I would say go for it. I have a question for you, and it's, it's a little side sidebar to this one. How do we get more women into the trades? Did you find that you had challenges with tools and PPE, personal protection equipment? Like in terms of things fitting your hands, for example. Like I always I find that that's a big challenge. Definitely with things fitting my hands. Um, I mean, I couldn't, still now, I can't find uh, uh, workwear for women, um, Mm -hmm. clothing. I actually had a woman say to me, a young woman say to me, uh, when I was in a store and a assist, shop assistant say, oh, women don't work in the trades. That's why you can't find anything. <laughs> I was like, well, well, I guess oh, I, I'll that's just. That's a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't that? <laughs> yes. And, and finding things to fit was hard, but the tools fitting my hands was challenging. And I don't know. I don't think I ever got any sympathy for that because I could carry more lumber but my hands don't fit around more lumber or right. uh, this tool is not suited for me so that's why I'm using two hands to operate it and I'm I'm not a you've met me I'm mm-hmm. not a, a petite woman um, I can kind of carry my own weight but yeah there were some obstacles there but for um, harnesses or uh, respirators or anything those are all fit uh, for you, so I didn't have any mm-hmm. issue there for PPE, and yeah, I think I think I I managed, I managed. Yeah, yeah, but managing is is not the same as excelling, right? Being and being held back. I mean, and I'm not saying that you didn't excel. I'm saying that, but it, it's a it's a hold back to how how successful you can be and how fulfilled you can be when you have to. Because I I know the work that I've done. I you know I have. I'm strong, but I have really weeny wrists. So holding up a power tool that has a big old battery on it, hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like yeah. you said, a two-hander, um, you know, getting a stapling gun that actually fit my hand that I didn't have to try and, like, like dislocate my fingers with every time I use it, that would have been nice. Yeah, and, that's you know, because a the two-hander. Small, <laughs> yeah, but, but the smaller ones don't have the oomph to actually go in. I finally ended up with, um, when I was doing a lot of uh, air and vapor barrier work, um, ended up with a plug-in upholsterer's stapler. Oh, wow. Which was awesome. And you just like, you just hold this. It looks like a, um, what does it look like? It looks like it's about the same size as a wooden spoon with a thicker, obviously a thicker handle on it, but it's at that size. And you just hold the bottom of the handle and whack the head at the stud <laughs> and it just goes in. It was brilliant. It was actually a friend of mine who, uh, who suggested it, but that, you know, finding workarounds like that, like really we could just, you know, there's, there's lots of men with small hands. There's lots of men with, you know, different abilities. Yes, I, I think you raise a good point there, Shauna, about um, the tools or the equipment being kind of made for a certain size person or a certain abled person or a, a strength. Um, and maybe there needs to be a change in that of kind of seeing how to reinvent the wheel. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to well, see that. I think I've, I've, 
I've said this before in the podcast and I've written about it too. I think it does a great disservice to men because in general, um, because when you are expected to to be able to use the burliest of the burliest tools, it means that you're burning your body out faster. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, so, it works smarter, so if right? You're, if you're, yeah. So if you are, you know, if you're basically being expected to burn your body out by the time you're 30 or 35 and we'll just replace you with another younger person who hasn't clued into the fact that they're going to burn out at 35. It's a self-perpetuating problem for 90 plus percent of the industry. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I like, I'm trying to think of ways that, you know, like this is not just about women. This is about more about people in general. How do we, how do we change things so that more people with different abilities can be involved. Absolutely. And have you seen any changes in the last little while? Well, the last little while, let's say the last, you know, year and a half with COVID? Uh, as far as the construction industry, um, definitely. I mean, construction has been an essential service. So it has been uh, operating somewhat as normal. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been a, a not insignificant amount of layoffs uh, where people were given other options for um, where they needed other options for childcare or or anything like that. But the workforce is still kind of going strong. Um, the price of materials, that we, <laughs> we've Ooh. seen those <laughs> go up. And then the supply of materials has actually uh, gone down. And it's not mm-hmm. just lumber it could be anything from like there's a shortage in like furniture foam um to like a lot of porcelains which are made over in, overseas there's big delays on that um so that mm. changes the the timelines of projects and then sometimes the, the cost of the project but right luckily a lot of people are still being employed and i do hear kind of around the water cooler that um, employers are having a really tough time finding uh, staff. So I think there needs to be a big push into kind of getting more people through the trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my son is uh, in the midst of a paid internship right now called Building Futures for Youth through the Construction Association of Nova Scotia. And uh, yeah, he's just, it's, he's, it's a full-time paid internship and he's working with, um, Monk Renovations out of, uh, I guess their head office is in Halifax. I was going to say Dartmouth, but I think it's Halifax and the taste of a little bit of money and the work, he comes home grubby, tired, exhausted, really happy, like every day. Now, you know, obviously after a few <laughs> weeks that might wear off, but he's, he's, he's really getting into it, which is very exciting for me to see that he's he's got, you know, finding a passion that way. But he is one of, I think they put 80 kids through this program mm-hmm. in the province. Um, he's also um, was able to do the construction trades program in the high school uh, here in the Bay, um, in St. Margaret's Bay. And they have 800 kids come in every year closing in on that, they have 32 potential seats in trades, in, in construction trades 
that's, I mean, there's like the big disconnect, right? There's a big problem there when we have not even a percent, 1% of students are offered a, 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 you know, a trades position. course. Yeah. So yeah. I think there's needs to be more uh, apprenticeship mentors um, or red seals who are willing to take on, you know, eager learners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're finding that too in the, in the, uh, with the, the energy advisor piece that, that there's really, you know, there needs to be a pathway and there needs to be some way of, of, you know, basically if you think about it as a, you know, your typical sales funnel, you need to have an awful lot more people at the top of the sales funnel to get some out of the, <laughs> at the bottom as, as people who are confident and able to work in the field. Um, but yeah, it's a big, it's a big challenge. And speaking of energy efficiency, I want to talk to you about how you do that with your clients, how you how you work with them on energy efficiency work. Oh, yes. So I don't specifically, you know, go for energy efficiency, but I it does play a factor in all the projects. And I don't think, you know, the average homeowner knows really what's involved because there is a legislation and practices put into place to make sure that their home is being smart for them. So there's um, water uh, conservation, you know, energy efficient appliances, um, using locally sourced uh, materials. I do try to do that as often as possible. All my labor is locally sourced and the materials are either local or Canadian on average Mm -hmm. do most of uh, my products that way. Um, and then energy efficient um, uh, building envelopes, so making sure that things are insulated well, uh, you have good, you know, ventilation where you need it. That happens whether, you know, a customer is trying to get energy efficient homes. Um, but if they do want to take a step further and have uh, solar panels or, or having um, added water conservation i'm all for it i will make sure it happens i want a better environment for our future and i do think that is the future of the industry so yes yeah absolutely absolutely and and i think that the if you you know partnering with energy advisors or you know somehow um you know working working within with that sector as well as all of this money comes down from the greener homes initiatives because that's going to be huge huge amounts of money and huge amounts of interest already shown um in getting those grants and getting the uh there's a forty thousand dollar interest-free loan that will be coming available sometime soon through cmhc but there, and there's also a ton of, of money coming through the federation of canadian municipalities to do municipal level retrofits and it's all to do with um, reducing greenhouse gas emissions via energy conservation so there's the tie-in is there it's 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 inevitable that this is going to grow as a as a integral part of of pretty much all the renovations that we start to do yes and yeah and there's incentives to doing improvements for you know getting you know, better siding or, you know, replacing your windows or your roofing structures or um, your heating systems. And 
it's for the benefit for your wallet, for the customer's wallet, but I mean, for the environment they live in and then the comfort of their own home. So mm-hmm. there's really, I don't, I don't see a downside, John. Well, there, yeah, I mean, I don't, there is no downside, right? I mean, the cool thing is that whenever, when people talk about doing energy efficiency work or having had an energy efficiency retrofit, taking those measures, the things that they talk about afterwards have very little to do with their wallet and everything to do with their comfort and their health and their feeling of safety and security in the building. Oh, and yeah, and we, you know, our energy bills are lower. But these are the things that matter to us, right? That we're more comfortable, that our health is better because it's a better environment because we have added ventilation and we've cleaned up mold and we no longer have mold producing activities or unintended consequences of sort of, you know, jury rigged fixes to different things. So, yeah. So can I ask, can I ask you, Shauna, what do you think is the biggest misconception that people hold about having uh, energy conscious uh, buildings? Oh, this is going to be a rant. Are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) Give it it to me. The biggest misconception is that you have to have a payback. People say, oh, yeah, sure, that's fine. Tell me what the pay, if there's no pay, if the payback's less than five years, I don't want to have that, Hmm. whatever it is, solar or insulation or a heat pump or whatever. Um, There is this weird misconception that comes out of real estate and specs on home ownership where the real estate market looks at how many houses sell and how often houses sell. And that is about five years on average in Canada. And that has been conflated with how long people stay in their houses because not everybody sells their house, but on average, a house will sell, you know, in five years, but an average means nothing really because what that's taking into consideration is all the houses that get built and flipped within a year or bought and flipped within a year in quote entry level markets, right? So there's a whole raft of houses that get flipped in a year. And then there's a whole bunch of houses that don't get sold. Like I've been, this is 20 years. I'll be in my house this year. And the average out of all of those is five years, but the average tenure of home ownership of when, how long people stay in their house is 13 years. Right. So there's a difference. One is one is how often houses sell, and the other is how long do people actually own a house for. And the five-year mark has become ingrained in so many people's heads that if you can't see a payback on your investment in the house in five years, then it's not worth doing. That's my biggest frustration. Because nobody ever asks what the payback is on the granite countertop, which loses value the moment you step foot in the house and use the kitchen. And nobody ever asks what's the payback on the jacuzzi tub. And unless you actually require hydrotherapy, you don't have a reason to have that tub in there. So it's like comparing apples to, I don't know, cantaloupes to, you know, red meat it's like they don't there's not there's not an equation here that works where these things that you're doing these energy efficiency measures that you're putting in place start saving you money immediately and they never stop 
So when you do things to the building envelope, right, you improve the building envelope, whether you're doing air sealing or improving the, the, the insulation and adding in ventilation to make you more comfortable and to ensure that you don't have problems with condensation, you're making more control over the building envelope, which is the permanent part of the house, which means that you are continually and forever saving money on energy. Yeah, and you're kind of doing the investment not only for yourself, but for the next homeowner, for your community yeah. at large. Yeah, now it's really hard for an individual homeowner to take on that that load, right? So that, you know, and, um, for especially for something like a deep energy retrofit where you're not talking about a few thousand, you're just talking about several thousand dollars up to you know forty to fifty thousand to seventy thousand to a hundred thousand dollars to improve the house, um, but then I've heard renovators say, well, if your renovation is going to be more than seventy percent of the value of your house, you might as well just tear it down and build new. Not necessarily, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, what was the point of you know? Wait a minute. I'm a, I'm of the generation here. <laughs> Where it's like waste not, want not. I like mm-hmm. to see that you know if things are in good condition, you salvage it or donate it or um, you know find another use for it. But yeah, but it doesn't that doesn't encourage you know it doesn't uh, include the externalities of building new, which means that you have all of these resources that you have just demolished. You're not going to find, especially here in Nova Scotia and, and Atlantic Canada, or even Eastern Canada, where we have a lot of houses that are over a hundred years old. You know, I've been in houses where I've seen clear 10 by 10 spanning 36 feet. That piece of wood doesn't exist in the forest anymore. And it won't in, you know, in several different life or several iterations of generations. That has value. You have value with an existing foundation, you know, the concrete that's in there. Um, there's, There's definitely embodied value to those to the shell of the building, if it's in good shape structurally, I don't think anything should come down. No. And then talk about the character on top of that. It all adds character. (laughs) Yeah. You love making things beautiful. And one of your passions is photography. Well, it is. But I think I'm kind of in this creative realm where I've done photography um, I've done um, acting um, particularly like you know open stage theater where I get to (laughs) play a different character and and you know speak as someone else but that that aspect of performance uh, whether it's behind the camera or you know um, on the stage, I bring that into my work on a daily basis, I think, because I do have to present and create this, you know, tell a story, create a, a vision for the clients of what their home could look like um, with pictures and, you know, samples and, and kind of just, <laughs> it's a bit like a stage. They, yeah. they, they're my audience and I um, I paint the picture for them. There isn't any uh, song and dance. I won't. I don't uh, have a little cane and and clicking my heels or anything. But it's a bit of a that would be fun. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I can make that. them feel at ease. It's, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, it's like being a storyteller and weaving, you know, here's what people come and tell you their vision and you can weave that into something that, that comes, you know, that can come to fruition. Yes, because yeah. a lot of people have an idea of what they want. Um, they don't know how to describe it. So I'm, I'm, I'm listening and I'm painting the picture as they, they speak. And does, does this look like the person you saw? Um, <laughs> it's, it's a bit like, um, it's a bit of a show, but I love it. I love what I do. I honestly couldn't imagine doing anything different. I go to sleep at night thinking of how to improve this room. I know I, I walk into someone's house and I said, oh, let's make an improvement here and and make it more functional for you or whatever your needs are. Um, I'm all about it. Mm-hmm. Like I really, I really do say it's a bit of obsession. So, Oh, I totally get it. I totally get it. I've over the years as I've been doing design stuff, um, mainly working with people in renovations, but when I work with people doing new construction, I know when I got the design right, when I dream about it and I can walk through the house in three dimensions. Yeah. And then and then afterwards, when it's actually up and built, I'm like, oh, wow, I was pretty spot on with this one. Or, oh, I didn't think about that piece, did I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess it's a it's a gift. But well, it's true, because there's a lot of people who can't who can't make that three-dimensional vision in their head. It's, you know. Well, they don't, they don't have to. That's why there's people yeah. like us. And then a lot of people think that they can, um, you know, manage their own construction project. And then they realize yeah, it's no. a full-time job. So. And it's, it's also a divorce factory. <laughs> yeah. I, on, like, the decisions you have to make, because there's so many moving parts, as you know. And then three-quarters of, of homeowners go over budget mm-hmm. and it could be something like, you know, 20% or more, which on a, you know, $50,000 kitchen, you're talking about an additional $10,000 that you didn't plan for. And it could have been avoided if you kind of had mm-hmm. someone yeah. there throughout the process. Right. Who can recognize when things are going off, off the rails a little bit, who can streamline the process, who can, charge ahead I mean I know lots of people have said oh I'm going to do the I'm going to do the project management myself to save money I'm like do you have experience with this because (laughs) this is a this is actually a profession and and it's not to denigrate other people you know people outside of the industry it's not to denigrate their skills in management it's just that this is a really complex process and there are a lot of like you said earlier moving pieces and moving parts and people who don't show up on time and people who you know they're you know everybody's juggling this ramshackle sort of you know structure of plates and drumsticks and wires and (laughs) you know that's what in my head that's what I see is this it's this sort of like you know and you're standing on one leg and you're on a unicycle and you're (laughs) You're managing all the people, the the materials, the timelines. And I would think, like, when people hear that I'm a design manager, that they assume that design or interior design is for the elite or, you know, Mm -hmm. for, you know, a certain expensive segment of, of 
people, but um, it's not. I think the average person could benefit more than more than you know the person I, who has an endless wallet because mm-hmm. you know what you're getting into. You know who's going to do it. You know what it's going to look like, and you know what materials are going to be appropriate for your application. You, and if you do want to DIY it, go for it. But I'm going to say. Don't do you know? Don't do it that way, uh, or you're just gonna make it a headache for yourself. But yeah, I know in my world, I've always said to people, you know, I am the cheapest part of your whole process because everything I do is on paper. We can erase it, or if it's on the screen, I can just you know cut and paste. Yeah. That's the cheapest <laughs> yeah. part. And I, as I, soon as you knock down a wall, or as soon as you start digging, that's gonna cost you a lot of money to change. Yeah, I, I say that that. It doesn't cost anything to plan. We haven't, you know, we haven't done that demolition yet or haven't broken ground yet. Um, so the planning is so important. And shows that are on, um, you know, you see television shows on tele- on home construction or renovations or big flips. And usually it's an American uh, price point, but it's probably one of like the biggest misconceptions of what, goes into a project and you know it's done in a week and you get mm-hmm. there and the flowers are already blooming and <laughs> it only costs you know just a just a fraction of what it really costs so um i think the wish list you know the dream project that a lot of people come to me with and what their budget is are totally not aligned yeah. because uh because of shows like that and then we kind of funnel it down and funnel it down and see what's uh um, necessary. We'll see what points. Maybe you do want that jacuzzi, or <laughs> you need it, well, or this, I mean, part, yeah. this space there's, is another year. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting those things. It's whether when you when you demand that, and, and so back to my little rant that A has a you know the the insulation package or the heat pump has to have a a, a payback period, but the jacuzzi doesn't. It's like now you're just, you're not, you know, nobody makes rational decisions about their houses, right? Nobody makes rational decisions about their cars. We want what we want because it appeals to us in some way. And, and I'm not denigrating that. I'm just saying, you know, like everything, if you're, if, if you are making choices based on what the payback is, the best payback is on something that's not going to cost you money going forward, which is energy, yeah. energy conservation. And that's kind of and the end smaller of the story. Home. Yeah, smaller homes. But then I have people coming to me with, you know, the book by Susan Sisanka in their hand. Um, what is it called? Smaller Homes or something like that. And it's stunning photography, gorgeous work, beautiful, beautiful little houses. But the finishing is so like like it's like top end finishing, right? Like these exotic woods and handmade ceramics and stuff so yes I'd like to have this little house it's going to not cost me very much money right and I want to have all of this exposed wood and this hardwood and this kind you know this and this and this I'm like do you know how (laughs) all of those finishings cost more per square foot than 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 the carpentry does like the basic fundamental building because it's a low specialty material specialty trades Um, I find if you're getting something to fit you know, a certain spot, it has to be so big by so big, um, you'll probably end up paying more because you're limiting mm-hmm. your options. 
So it's it's good to have uh, someone who, who knows what they're there and say, I'm not going to, you know, design that staircase that folds up and turns it into a dollhouse or something. Because <laughs> that's going to cost you too much. And it's not practical. Yeah. I do some home staging as well with uh, realtors. Like I said, anything design, anything pretty. I just mm-hmm. love being part of, of houses. Um, and I tell the clients all the time that the house you live in and the house you sell is not the same house. <laughs> the house you're selling is not practical. You can't leave, you know, your your coat out. You can't leave, you know, yeah. your cooking utensils out. Um, it's all about the look. But uh, just make it look big. Make it look clean. Um, yeah. Don't make it look like you live there, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's a funny thing to, to look at. When I look at open houses and stuff, well, I don't go out to many of those, but when I look at every once in a while, I look at real estate listings and look at these going, these, uh, you know, these houses that are for sale, a lot of them look kind of like high-end hotel rooms to me because that's how they're set up. I mean, I understand that and I understand why, but that's a, yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing to walk into a place and go, hmm, so who lives here? <laughs> I mean, somebody could walk into my house now and go, oh, yeah, well, pff, obviously Jean lives here because it's a mess and look at all the chaos and there's, what are these things and what are those? <laughs> oh, my little nicks and nags. But, um, yeah, but but I have seen your website and I have seen some of your photography and you do set up beautiful, beautiful, beautiful spaces. So I would oh, thank you. It, it just goes to show, like, the practical side. And the show side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and what you know, how we would, how we'd like to live versus how we actually live. Yes, and I like to consider things. that mm-hmm. when someone's um, trying to make, you know, replicate something they saw on Pinterest, I said, well, there's. <laughs> let's look at, you know, where are you actually going to put your backpack and your shoes? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's true. That's it's funny because we're actually right in the middle of of well, we're just painting the mudroom and putting some some less fluorescent lights in there. But yeah, our shoes and and jackets and stuff <laughs> they don't have anywhere to live right now, and it's pretty it's really bewildering how much junk fits into the mudroom that we never use. So you know, here's my opportunity to do the a, a giant upheaval and clear out a bunch of stuff, but. Well, congratulations. We'll <laughs> yeah, then I got to move into the basement. Dun, dun, dun. That's going to be scary. <laughs> temporary. temporary. <laughs> the romance dies pretty quickly once the dust starts flying, but That's, I'll be yeah. happy with the results. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks so much, Anna. It's been great today. Um, And that's it for our episode today. Thank you for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in. This episode was produced by Blue House Energy, Podcast Atlantic, and Tanya Media. Subscribe and don't miss an episode. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. (laughs) 